Thanks for checking in on us today for the daily BIV podcast, Coping with COVID-19 from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kurt LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. Now, we like to call ourselves beautiful British Columbia, very good reason. We justifiably draw visitors from around the world to sample what we inhabit here. Of course, that's changed in 2020 with the pandemic, and our tourism and hospitality businesses have taken a giant economic hit, and their futures are on hold as our border with America is closed, as many businesses remain shuttered and only partly opened in some cases, and as travel restrictions and quarantine requirements worldwide have an impact on how we contend with coronavirus. A coalition of the tourism and hospitality businesses has submitted a proposal for a recovery package of some sort to the province. It calls for $680 million initially, to support the industry in the short term. Its best estimate is that business is going to decline nearly 70% this year. My guest today is Walt Judas. He's the CEO of the Tourism Industry Association of British Columbia. Good to see you. Nice to see you, Kirk. Yeah, as I said before we started, it would be nice to see you under much better conditions. Um, give Give us an update, Walt. Tell us about the conditions right now of the visitor economy. Well, we're still in dire straits, no question. I think you're seeing more recently that people are traveling around the province. There is pent-up demand. People do want to venture out, and they are going to places like Kelowna, Tofino, and some of the traditional hotspots that BC residents normally go to. But it's a bit of a misnomer, though. It uh, it leaves the impression that uh, tourism has picked up and we're back to normal. In those places, perhaps, it feels closer to being the case, largely on weekends, not necessarily weekdays. But by and large, the industry is nowhere near to where it was at this time last year. In fact, in particular, the major centres, you'll see occupancy in hotels of less than 20%. You really can't operate a property at less than 20% occupancy. So rural British Columbia and remote parts of the province are also impacted and will continue to be because largely their clientele is from the U.S. or internationally based. In fact, U.S. visitors represent 60%, I should say international visitors represent 60% of tourism revenues on an annual basis, and we won't have that as you alluded to. And so the industry is still very much in in a response and recovery mode. We have these two months now to make up some of that ground, but it definitely won't make up for what we've lost from March through June and what we anticipate will happen in September and beyond. Well, uh, you say what's been lost already in these number of months, but I actually want to look at the harder part of what's been lost. What kind of closures, what kinds of businesses have gone out of business during this period of time? You know, it's it's uh, difficult to say, Kirk, a lot have. Uh, our best data has come from a lot of the regions, which show that 25% of businesses are not yet open. Mm-hmm. Those that have closed permanently, we really don't have a good handle on yet uh, because that's happening virtually on a daily basis and there's no survey data to collect that information. I think we'll really know 
the uh, long-term impacts, that is permanent closures by the fall. But certainly a number of businesses have not opened. Some are only partially open. You know, within the hospitality sector, restaurants, many still don't have in-dining service and are relying largely on takeout and or takeaway. So we'll see the impacts, uh, again, being felt more into the fall. But I do know, for example, many of the fishing lodges up and down the coast have not opened. They're pushing everything until next year. And then they have to find the means to survive uh, through the fall and winter months. Normally, they rely on five months of the peak season for all their business. And that sustains them through until next year. Can they find the means to, to carry on at some point and reopen? It remains to be seen. There are guest ranches in the interior that aren't open, uh, or if they are, they're seeing very few guests. So I think the carnage will really be felt in the fall and winter months. Yeah, you'd have to believe that uh, for any kind of summer-related uh, tourism business, that if they're not open now in as we enter late July, they can't possibly be thinking of reopening this year. No, and many of them, even downtown Vancouver hotels, some of the major ones aren't open. They rely a lot on the convention and meetings business, and their operating costs, even their startup costs, can be in the range of $100,000. And so if you're not going to see the occupancy, you're just simply not going to reopen. Now, those bigger properties likely have the means to reopen at some point. But if you're a smaller property, particularly outside of the metro regions that don't see a lot of visitors in the fall and winter months, you would say to yourself, can I, for can I afford to meet my debt obligations? Many of them won't be able to unless they get some help. So, so what do you think the industry has to rethink? Boy, that's a very, very good question. That's, uh, and it's a hard one to answer, frankly, but I think now we're seeing an industry that is more prepared than ever before for similar situations to this. I don't think we, we were ever envisioning uh, being uh, in the middle of a pandemic and shutting an industry so drastically. So part of what we need to rethink is how do we respond to visitors in the future? What are the expectations of visitors? Certainly, health and safety standards have now risen to the top. Are you a safe destination? What is your reputation for managing, whether it's COVID-19 or a subsequent pandemic? How have you handled guests that have that have been in your destination, perhaps they've gotten sick or they're just looking for a safe place. What can you do to assure people that Canada, British Columbia and your property is safe? I can enjoy a, a first class experience like what I've ex uh, in, experienced in the past. And, um, and might it be a place that I would recommend to my friends? Our reputation, I think, is uh, pretty critical relative to other destinations too around the world. And so we've had to rethink that a bit too. Do we have the reputation that, uh, that says to people, come to Canada when the time is right. We have the, the proper health and safety protocols. We will look after you. We will do all of the things that you expect and uh, hopefully you will come back. But we also have to think too now as businesses, how do we transition into that new environment? And what does that look like? 
while health and safety was always important, it wasn't at the top of the list. Now it is. What kind of automated processes do we need to have in place? What kind of communication do we need to offer well in advance beyond promoting our beautiful resort, our pools, our amenities, our attractions, all of the things that you can do? All of that is extremely important going forward. It's a two-part question, uh, Walt, and I wonder about this. So how how was the industry perhaps initially uh, helped a bit by the way in which the province responded to the pandemic, how British Columbians flattened the curve a bit, um, got ourselves into, into a situation where we weren't really experiencing the same problems as other jurisdictions and where we are actually gaining a bit of an international reputation for being rather sage about it. So, so that's part one. Part two, though, is it seemed like at some point about a month ago, a lot of people did a lot of things in a hurry, got out there, started frolicking, and now we're sort of feeling the, the effects of that. So tell me a little bit about what this last month or so has informed you about. Well, at the start, when the province was directing people to stay at home and um, the borders had closed and so on, I think the, the lead marketing organization, Destination BC, was very deliberate in their messages. Uh, explore BC later. Stay at home. They, they supported what the province was suggesting to people. And it seems at odds. It's really ironic that you have the lead marketing agency saying to people, now is not the time to explore our province. But I commend them for doing that because it was extremely important messaging. So that was part of it. The second thing I think the industry did was in anticipation of reopening at some point, every individual sector went forward with developing health and safety protocols to allow people to feel safe in whatever environment. So uh, one of the lead sectors was golf. They developed protocols around uh, tee off times and and, uh, closed concessions. And they did a number of things that allowed people to carry on with an activity that they enjoy, but it was mostly directed to locals at this point. So, Industry across the board did that. You saw the restaurant sector was out in front of it, uh, trying to reopen in some fashion in conjunction with provincial and or community protocols, etc. But I thought that was a big step because that showed industry was really ready when we were moving toward phase three. And accepting of what it was doing to people, to businesses in the short term. It wasn't trying to necessarily struggle against that terribly much. Yeah, exactly. In fact, the industry was very supportive, knowing full well that the short-term pain would hopefully result in long-term gain. But as you saw, as this continued month over month and businesses were starting to lose their shirt and were folding and not really confident about reopening, the situation became more dire. But at the same time, still poised to reopen and looking at various government programs as a means to stay solvent. But importantly, as we encroached on phase three, recognizing that the international borders were still closed, but there was more freedom inter and intra-provincially to travel, then you saw businesses starting to bring back staff, 
uh, gearing up, not doing overt marketing necessarily, but really almost trial ballooning some of those openings. And then as people became more comfortable with travel and the province said, yes, you can go beyond your hometown or your home region, travel to other parts, then things began to open up more in earnest. And, and in doing so, Destination BC, if you recall, moved their marketing to um, come explore BC, but do so in a, in a safe and respectable manner, following the health and safety protocols that businesses have outlined, that the province has outlined, but really targeted to British Columbia residents predominantly. And let's not forget, there's still this agreement between Alberta and British Columbia. Look, we're not going to be overt in promoting each other's provinces or telling people from Alberta to come here, but we're also not going to shut them out either. So that was all part of the process. But aside from that, if I can add one more thing, there was the advocacy side, which is something that uh, I'm involved in in our organization. And that is really working with government behind the scenes on some of those things that are needed to ensure that businesses can open, that uh, people can feel free to travel, that we wouldn't dissuade people from visiting other regions, but in fact, be part of the process to encourage people because of a so, such pent-up demand. Well, then let's look at these uh, individual pieces that uh, the association is seeking now, uh, that this coalition is seeking, because $680 million sounds like a very, very, very large chunk of money, but in fact, it is um, it is a, a multi-billion dollar business in this province, and, uh, and you have to be put on a form of uh, life support here for a period of time until things come back. Let's look at these individual pieces and what they are. You, you, there's, a, there's a capital recovery amount of money there, and what's that tailored to do? That's really designed for tourism businesses to remain solvent. Really, many of them can't pay their bills. They haven't been able to since March. And even though we see this little uptick in July and August, it's confined to certain centers like Kelowna and maybe Tofino and a few others. And it's BC residents who don't spend near the same amount of money as international visitors do. But that's really only a two-month period. So many of these businesses that have been closed or only partially reopened have lost a significant amount of revenue since March, March through June. They haven't been able to meet their fixed cost expenses, whether it's utilities, rent, and so on. And they're likely to experience the same in the fall, particularly if travel restrictions continue and it's anticipated that they will, or heaven forbid there's a second wave. And so how do we make sure that we continue to have the supply side of the business that is intact or relatively intact by next year? We talked earlier about, you know, whether it's fishing lodges or, or angling guides or, or what have you that have been, that have been idle up until now, and they'll be idle right until next year. And uh, Lord willing, we'll have uh, a, a bounce back of some kind. But if they're not, how do they sustain themselves? They still have all of those obligations. So the working capital grant, which could be in the form of a pure grant, or it could be low interest or low interest uh, loans, will allow these businesses to survive so that we actually have uh, a tourism ecosystem that is able to start up again. The second component focuses on 
the transition for tourism businesses into perhaps a new operating model. Hotels, for example, may need to do more things that are online versus having somebody welcome you at um, when you walk into a hotel, uh, guest services, those types of things. Some of that will need to be automated or a new check-in system perhaps that is way more efficient now than some of the things that they're doing. That's, that's but one example, but many businesses may need to transition to new business models or new units within their business. Perhaps there's new products that they can introduce to make sure their businesses are sustainable. So that's the second component. The -hmm. third is supply chains. Many tourism operators source their supplies from overseas, from all kinds of different countries. How can we source those supplies more at a local level? And they'll need some help doing that because typically it's more expensive to find BC suppliers, otherwise they wouldn't be going overseas. So can we use some of that money to help that transition and have more reliable BC-focused supply chains? So uh, so these three components uh, add up uh, to $680 million, but this is not, this is not the end of the road. This, nope. is, uh, this is kind of the beginning of the road, isn't it? It is. It is, to be sure. And what we've based the initial ask of the Working Capital Grant at $475 million is multiplying 19,000 tourism businesses by $25,000 each, which is akin to what other jurisdictions have supplied or provided. But when you think about it, $25,000 isn't a lot of money to some of the major businesses. So some may receive more, some not at all. Some may require a whole lot more. If you're talking about major tourism operations that have been sidelined completely um, to sustain them, they're running out of cash. So they could use a lot more. But importantly, we've talked about this as an initial investment. You know, we're a 20 and a half or 21 and a half billion dollar sector that provides over four and a half billion dollars to all levels of government in the form of taxation. So we think that 680 million is really not out of the question and not too big a number to ask for. But the second component would be on stimulus funding. We could use an investment within tourism that benefits other sectors to be sure for stimulus funding that helps with new product development or investment. It's even things like better highway systems, ubiquitous Wi-Fi in rural parts of the province. There are a whole list of projects in every region that the province could assist with or invest in that would stimulate the tourism sector. Yeah. Uh, The province so far has indicated that it has about a billion and a half dollars in mind in order to have this economic recovery. Uh, your numbers make me feel as if that is not nearly enough money. No. What, what do you think? What do you think the, you know, the, the real number might have to be here if your piece of it, and, and from what I can tell, your piece in furnishing, say, $25,000 per, per outlet is, is a rather meager one. What do, what do you think the, the dimension of that number actually is? Well, you know, if I were to say it on behalf of the tourism industry, I'm sure our operators would suggest it needs to be double that. Uh-huh. But I know, too, in speaking with my colleagues at the BC Chamber of Commerce, they think the number for recovery should be in the 3 to $4 billion range. Now, that represents broader industries than just tourism, but that's only a start. We've seen what the federal government has been doing 
with uh, all of the allocation of, uh, of funds right since March. Uh, and I'm not, not suggesting in any way, shape or form that the province um, matches anything that the federal government has done because it's considerable in the hundreds of millions of billions of dollars. But nonetheless, for the tourism sector, we felt that starting at close to 700 billion from the 1.5 recovery was a good start. But it also doesn't limit us to just this recovery package. There are other pockets of money within government, in many other ministries, and in an upcoming budget that could be allocated that benefit both tourism and, as I say, other sectors, particularly on the stimulus side. But $680 million uh, is our initial ask, and we think that's fair relative to the one5 Last uh, last issue, Walt. Uh, I think what we're starting to see already, uh, where we uh, shop and where we dine and things like that, we're starting to see the arrival of uh, so-called COVID charges. And I wonder how important it is in in seeking this package that it not also come later with some kind of additional pandemic taxes that would be placed on the back of, of your industry that would make tourism a little less attractive in this province to a visitor. Yeah, that's very important too. Um, We know too from speaking with, whether it's hotels or, uh, or attractions or others, you know, they can't, on the one hand, they need the revenue. So ideally it would be nice to be able to raise the rates. On the other hand, they, they almost can't afford to do so for fear that people aren't going to frequent their businesses. So you're seeing lots of deals. You're seeing a lot of packages. If you start layering on several taxes to try to, to assist in uh, paying for some of the packages that the government is offering, that's going to add yet more uh, burden on businesses and and uh, dissuade people from frequenting those businesses. In fact, one of the things that we've been saying is it's great to be promoting travel to British Columbians, but the fact is they spend about a quarter of what internationals do. <laughs> we need yeah. them not to only partake in the free stuff. We need them to actually frequent a business, stay in a hotel, go to an attraction, etc. So if you're starting to add taxes onto those experiences, most definitely that will have an impact. And it already does today with the hotel tax to some degree, and they're loath to raise any taxes on hotels. Yeah, I, I think as British Columbians, we know where the free stuff is. And uh, we, <laughs> we, have, we have a bit of an inside track in that way. Um, so, so last question, uh, the, the release this week made it seem as if this money is needed yesterday. Uh, what do you expect as the timeline? In, in which you're going to get this kind of response out of the province, yay or nay, or maybe a you know a compromise of some sort? I think we're still a few weeks away from any formal response by the province. We know that the public consultation period just ended, and so they'll take into consideration everything that individuals around the province have been telling the province about where to allocate that 1.5 billion. So we have a lot of competition. Many other sector associations, natural resources and otherwise, have also submitted packages or recommendations and a submission on how to spend that fund. So we expect government will sift through both the public responses and, and all of the submissions and provide a response in due course but I don't anticipate it will be in the immediate future. The, the only 
uh, I suppose, comfort for many tourism operators is that we do see some travel. We are seeing some travel now in July and August, but that's for a fraction of those operators. The rest are still trying to figure out how they're going to pay their bills and they're in a desperate state. So that money can't come soon enough. And of course, it's all predicated on what the government accepts, if any, of our package and how much we're allocated that uh, will really tell the, the, the tale of what we can expect in future for BC tourism. Well, uh, thanks so much for explaining what it is that the coalition is after all of all this. It's been a really good conversation. Walt Judas, CEO of the Tourism Industry Association of British Columbia, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me, Kurt. Appreciate and it. And for watching Coping with COVID, our BIV daily podcast. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business in Vancouver. We'll see you again. Bye.